with cybersecurity, we know it's going to happen. It's not the if, but the when happens. So you do see it continuously getting more exposure at the board level. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, I sit down with Scott Price, the founder and CEO of Align. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dave. Awesome. So I want to dive in starting right with what Align is. Can you tell the audience a little bit about the company? Yeah, I think it really harkens back to why the name Align. Our focus is to look at companies where they're going from a strategic perspective. Those growth targets usually tie in some type of compliance objective they need to have. And Align's focus is helping those companies comply with different regulatory and information security standards globally. So I really love your journey that you've been on as as an entrepreneur. And I think it's one that's really inspirational to a lot of folks. Can you tell a little bit about that journey and where you led to today? Yeah, it's been a journey with a lot of mistakes and and a little bit of success, but a lot of mistakes. So I started my career at Arthur Anderson, quickly saw the fact that financial audit was not the end-all, be-all of, of in that technology in the late 90s was coming about. So I focused on auditing security around technology controls. Clearly, Enron occurred. Anderson went under in 2002. I was 26 years old and started my first company, focused on doing these types of audits. Told everyone I was in my 30s, because who picks up a 26-year-old to do this when you're Pfizer of Unisys? And, uh, and that was a great journey. I grew that company until 2009, until about $11 million in revenue, and saw there was a broader aspect to this. There wasn't just going to be one standard on security, but healthcare, dealing with the federal government, dealing with, health, with um, private card information, PCI, things of that nature. So I started a line to really broaden the horizons in, in 2009, and now we just, I guess, celebrate our 10 years in 2019. So I want to dive in a little bit more about that change that you've seen. Audits were a thing you used to just have to do, and it was just required every year. Today, you have cybersecurity and compliance and all of these changes. What do you think that's doing to the world of business over the last decade of how compliance has changed? I I think compliance really allows businesses to trust each other. I talk about the fact of what we do allows businesses to trust and respect each other. They want to be able to trust businesses back and forth of sharing data. And us as consumers, we want to make sure our companies respect the data that we give to them. And Align's focus on having a very broad framework of how we attack those from a security controls perspective, I think really adds value to our clients because they see the fact that they can either raise funds, do business with a new company, move upstream, or really just improve their business because Let's face it, having great cybersecurity controls in place is going to mitigate risk and make your company more successful. So on that note, you've seen security really change over the last decade where it went from something that happened behind the scenes to something that's often making headlines. So what is the state of security as we kind of enter the next decade? I still think everyone talks about it's moved from behind the scenes to the boardroom and it's become a boardroom discussion. Security still is not the place where we say, okay, if we have a dollar spent on sales and marketing or we have a dollar spent on security, we're going to choose security. We're going to consistently choose growth metrics and growth dollars over the fact that these are things that could happen. But let's face it, with cybersecurity, we know it's going to happen. It's not the if, but the when happens. So you do see it continuously getting more exposure at the board level. And I hopefully see the dollars will come about more and more as fines incur. People lose major customers. You lose a supplier because of the fact that you've influenced their cybersecurity environment. So there's really two sides to every coin then. When you think about this 
value of investing a dollar in security or a dollar in sales and marketing? How do you decide how you you separate those two and divide them up? Well, clearly, we're biased as the cybersecurity provider, but we feel that the ability to spend dollars to demonstrate compliance with cybersecurity regulations or improve the business really will allow sales and marketing to drive further. We found that 66% of our client base has taken some type of Series A funding or greater, and they've done that within 160 days of hiring us. And we've seen the fact that they will get the funding and then want to move up market so they'll need to build these security controls in place or they'll be looking for the funding and they want to make sure that they that they're, um, have the best security controls as they go through due diligence. So many private equity and strategic buyers are part of due diligence are looking at the compliance framework. It's becoming a bigger, bigger issue, I think, as you see deals happen. So is there a way to kind of measure an ROI then when you think about security? I think the ROI is more if you don't do something. You have to do it. People continuously underestimate the risk of bad things happening. I go back to Big Short, the movie Big Short, and they talk about those two guys. They always, they got great investments because people don't think that bad things are going to happen. They always undervalue it. So I think it's hard to put a dollar exactly on what the ROI is. I think it's more along the lines of how it drives the sales and marketing aspect, which you can put a dollar on that. I think it's easier to measure the growth than to measure the penalty. So we mostly think of compliance and security as an IT responsibility, which, you know, they definitely are. But it sounds like what you're saying is it's moving closer to being something the CEO needs to care about, the CFO, the marketing, the sales team. How do you think about that role of cybersecurity and security as a whole becoming more horizontal versus vertical? There's an often used phrase that they say cybersecurity is a team sport, and it really is. We see the fact that sales and marketing is continuing to look at their competition and to say, hey, when we look at our company, our competitors have these types of certifications, these assessments performed. We need to do the same thing to be able to compete in the marketplace with them. And so we see it happening more and more driven by sales and marketing, and then it becomes a responsibility of implementation maybe of IT or operations, but we're seeing more and more the driver happy as part of the sales and marketing process that we were speaking about earlier, and I think that allows it to have some more visibility and not just in the, in the closet with IT. So on the flip side of those are all where you have nice organizations built and functions and everything else, you mentioned that a lot of the people you've worked with have been ones that raised Series A. Yeah. Uh, high growth, young entrepreneurs, founder driven. You know, as a founder yourself, how do you coach and think about entrepreneurs engaging with security early on and planning ahead versus reacting? I, I think your, your point of planning ahead versus reacting. When you're in a startup mode, you don't have time to go back and redo code, redo processes and procedures. You want to build that those controls that are required for these cybersecurity regulations into the code, into your processes because you're moving so fast. And so we, it, we really get excited when a CEO calls us of a startup and he or she is engaging with us before they've even been asked for the audit or the assessment, before they're even building their application, they just have this idea. That's where we can have the most impact because it's not going back and retooling a process or figuring out, you have this process A in here, we need to come in and retool that, and it doesn't even look like the same process anymore. Instead, let's understand what works for you all at this stage and you all can grow into that process as well. So for us, the value that we get derived of interacting with what we call Startup Steve and that, and that buyer persona is really fascinating for us. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. 
Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So with that uh, startup Steve, as you call it, what are you finding as that founder that's asking that? Is it maybe more of a technical founder that understands this? Is it a business founder? Like, what are you finding? It's typically a founder that came from a large company that he or she had to go through that process at their bigger, at their larger company and to retool their processes. It really bogged their teams down and they recall that. And that's the whole thing about aligning the strategy where the compliance objectives are going. And one of the reasons why when, when the startup Steve calls in and they're focused on this for them at the front end, it's usually because they've had to retool their processes at a larger company before and they remember that pain and they want to instead have partner with us early on to be able to not have to experience that pain. So that's from people that have experienced the pain. What about those that haven't? How do you get that, I'm going to change the world, I'm building this great product, and you get them to think ahead? Like, What are you telling them of the why and the how? I think the biggest thing is to try to relate to them of where their objectives are and how we can fit into that and get them there sooner. So they want to be able to get to market. They want to be able to acquire new customers. And for us to be able to tell them, if we partner now, we'll be able to do that with you in a much easier format, take you to market quicker, and be able to achieve whether it's this Series A or B or later rounds that they're looking to do. I think that's the thing that we're able to talk about is from the experience of our 2,400 clients, most of them that started out in this SMB market as a startup, that we're able to go with our experience and share some clients with them, even share some references so they can understand why it's so important to do it at the startup phase rather than building processes and having a retreat. That's awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about the journey you've been on as an entrepreneur. You know, we started and you talked about going Arthur Anderson at 26, starting your first company, and now you've got a company with a line that has over 2,400 empl- or, uh, clients. What have you learned as kind of the lesson that you wish your 26-year-old self had known when you started that first company? I, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is I wish I would have focused more on how to be a good leader and be a CEO and invest in our people early on. I think I constantly hear, you built this great company in a line. We don't sell a widget. We don't sell a car. We sell our people being experts in their industry and be able to go out and interact with our clients. We've invested tremendously over the last few years since we received our investment from FTV in our people with training and also in our technology. Those are some of the things that I wish maybe I had done earlier and maybe raised some capital earlier, be able to do that because we've seen the dividends of that payoff. That is something that I wish we hadn't done in that ex, that um, the acquisition with FTV in 2018. If we, don't, if we had performed that in 2014, we might be 10 times of where we're at now. So there's a concept I have that's called continuous beta. And it's all around the fact that companies and people always need to be changing and evolving because the game's going to be changing that you're you're playing. How do you think about that in your professional life when you're sitting at the edge of cybersecurity, something that's moving so fast? How do you stay ahead of where things are going and develop? 
it's we have four values and one of our four values is to innovate constantly because we firmly believe that our clients want us to innovate and be on top of what we're doing because they've chosen us as their trusted provider to be able to do that. I think the interesting thing is for someone that wants to grow and be pushed to the limit, this is the best field. And this is what I love to do is constantly learning about new attack techniques that the hackers are trying to do. The great thing is the hackers get get uh, get worse every day and we have to get better to be able to support our clients. The standards change every day because cybersecurity threats change every day. This is probably one of the most interesting industries that allows us to have these constant changes to keep it interesting. People don't say, oh, I've been pigeonholed in a certain standard. That standard is constantly evolving. Our client's risk is constantly evolving. The technology behind what they're doing is evolving. And so this makes this very interesting. I always say, we don't sell black and white TVs. We're in cybersecurity. It's constantly evolving. So on that innovate constantly being one of those core values, how do you get that double-sided of innovating constantly for yourself as a person and employee, but then also gain the company to innovate constantly? So for me personally, the innovation is how I continue to lead the company, make sure everyone understands our vision. Everyone's rowing the boat in the same direction at the same pace. And that is my focus to inspire the employees here to want to innovate constantly. How do we ensure that we're innovating constantly at the right, um, on the right things? Due to the fact that by trade, I'm a CPA, I'm an accountant, so numbers matter. And so when you think about innovation, you want to innovate at the things that have the greatest return for us. The greatest return for our clients is going to either help with employee retention, client retention, allow us to provide more assurance to our clients as we do the work, or allow our employees to be able to complete their work in a more efficient manner. When we tie these ROI metrics around the innovation projects that we're looking at, it allows us to have a priority order around them. And so I think that's the thing that I want to provide an environment and grow as a leader where people understand the vision of the company, they understand how their innovation can help drive that vision, and then my job is to ensure that we're using our resources wisely of people and dollars to accomplish what we need to most as an innovation and be able to prioritize that through ROI is the metric that we go after. So one of the places and uh, things I love about Align as a company is you built this company in Tampa. And Tampa, Florida sometimes isn't thought about as a startup hotbed, but you're helping change that. Why did you choose to build such a leading edge company, not in a San Francisco or a New York or a Boston, but in an emerging ecosystem? I think Tampa is a great place to, to raise a family. I grew up in Clearwater. Coming back here, I think, again, it's sort of the, the founder ego that you believe you can build anything if you put enough grit behind it and enough passion for it. And I think it's this perseverance that the CEOs around here in the Tampa area feel. And maybe it's a little bit of a chip on our shoulder. And I get constantly asked, don't we want to be like Austin or Atlanta? And I say, no, I want to be the best Tampa. And that's, we're a unique ecosystem, as you outlined. And for us to be able to be the best Tampa is what we're driving it for, because we do have great resources here, but then we have the ability to attract resources from outside the state. And then how do we have the right infrastructure in here to keep them where they don't go back to Chicago or New York or Boston, but they want to stay in Tampa because they feel the tie to Tampa, not just the tie to a line. Yeah, love it. Well, it's always a pleasure sitting down with you, Scott. Thank you for taking the time, and congrats on everything you've built with Align. Thanks so much, Dave. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.